Do, do, do. You came back to Tales from the Chalk Line. I'm Ann Schwartz, and I hope that you appreciate I'm doing this instead of taking a nap because I am oh so tired. Some of us, me, chaperone prom last night. This week, you get to hear from Sadie Estrella, and she is amazing, and she is going to talk all about Hawaii and the educational system there, which was super fascinating, and her belief in socio-emotional learning and following your gut. She's going to teach you a couple Hawaiian words, or just teach me a couple Hawaiian words because I thought they were fascinating, and talk about her journey away from Hawaii for four years and back, and her family's journey to Hawaii, and being a local but not Hawaiian. All of this was stuff I didn't know about. Uh, But before that, let me give you this week's syllabus. So this week there's a lot to read, but there is not much to watch or listen to. So to read, uh, check out the hashtag MitBoss30. I linked to it in my blog. It's a whole bunch of teachers blogging for 30 days. If you're interested in getting in, we're about eight days in, but join as you will. Uh, You should also read Grace's post on why love is not enough. It was really interesting to me because I had just heard Jeff Duncan and Jotty speak on the fact that we don't say love enough in our mission, in our schools, and all of that. Um, But I think that's a little different than Grace's idea of being like, I love kids, so I'm a teacher, which is not enough. So uh, you could also read, I linked to Jeff Duncan and Jotty's piece on critical hope, which I found fascinating. Uh, And lastly, you should read uh, the New York Times piece on poverty and school performance and race, and it's fascinating, super cool. Um, I don't have anything to listen or watch at the moment, but if there's something that I should be listening or watching, can you let me know? Because I have some time, you could let me know. Uh, I am so tired that I'm just going to head right into Sadie's interview The Wi-Fi was significantly better for Sadie's, although there's a little bit of staticky stuff that we had to fix and a couple things I had to cut because we were just talking and talking and talking because we enjoy talking to each other. So I hope you will join me in having this lovely conversation with Sadie. If you want to catch up with her, her Twitter is at Whatabug, uh, which I will link to, but is W-A-H-E-D-A-H-B-U-G. Uh, You can find her on Twitter there, or, you know, you can find her right now on the podcast. Welcome to Tales from the Chalk Line. Bloop, 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 and does intro music. Ba, ba, ba. Okay, here we go. Who are you and what pronouns do you prefer? Um, I love that question, by the way. (laughs) Who are you and what pronouns do you prefer? Because that's going to now go in my bank of questions that I would ask a human. So I'm a human. (laughs) And I'm Sadie Estrella, and you can call me Sadie or she and whatever pronouns you'd like to call me. I I don't mind. Um, I am, I I think at the root of who I am, I feel like I'm always a teacher, even though I'm not directly teaching students. Mm -hmm. Um, What I currently do is I currently work for the Department of Education in Hawaii, and I'm a a resource teacher, and I put that in quotations because outside of Hawaii, a resource teacher is a different thing. Uh, a resource teacher is somebody who supports in special education right. um, outside of Hawaii. But in Hawaii, the terminology resource teacher um, is a teacher that supports other teachers. So in Hawaii, we are one entire school district, what? the entire state. Yeah, this is yeah, mm-hmm. 
these are the reactions I get. And it's, it is the most insane idea I've ever heard. And I've only worked in this system, to be honest, but actually having conversations with other people outside of Hawaii, I'm like, this is insane. So because we're one school district, every island has what, what we call complex areas. Mm-hmm. And so in a complex area, we have these schools that are like range K-12 that feed into like the high schools, which would be kind of like a district, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so we're a team that supports the schools. And so I'm the math resource teacher for my team. Okay. So in San Diego, we would call that a TOSA. So a teacher on special assignment. I've heard that before. So yeah. So like that. So cool. So uh, that's what we do. And we have 20 schools in our complex area that we service. Cool. And so I I wouldn't say I service all 20 schools. I I do a little bit of here and there. We do have a project with one of the schools um, whose scores were kind of uh, pretty bad. So sorry, this like your phone is in front of my brain. so the scores are really bad. And so we decided, or we were like, we need to do a project. And um, we called it a project instead of like this like whole nomenclature of like reforming or we're going to go in, <laughs> blah, blah. You know, we just, we wanted the teachers to feel like we're coming in and we just, we want to help. We want to help. want to help you be better. We want to build this culture of learning with teachers. And we, um, we had an outside, uh, what's it called? consultant, Mm. which is different than what, um, these other, what these schools are used to. They're used to consultants kind of just coming and going and being very general about the things that they should change in their classroom and being in their classrooms and not really giving them any specific feedback. And so what we changed when we did this, this team up with this, um, consultant was, well, the, the work with the consultant is going to be like, it's, I'm the main point, the resource Mm -hmm. teacher, because I work for the district. Right. Or the complex. So I'm the main point and I do the connection with the, with the uh, consultant mm-hmm. and I'm pretty much working with the consultant and we're working together and there, there might not be, you know, at a meeting, there might be the consultant, maybe the main person, it might be me, it might be other people in our complex area. Um, so we try to make it so that it was like this learning environment and we would, I would be in teachers classrooms and the consultant might not be there, but I would be there, okay. you know? And so it's this ongoing thing of, um, working with the complex area with the consultant instead of kind of sometimes what you see is the consultant just comes in and then they leave. And that's the only time stuff gets done. Okay. Which, which was not the case in, in the way we wanted to set it up. And, and that came kind of from the consultants uh, when we approached her. She was like, well, this is what I want to do to make it work. So um, she knew, she kind of knows how the Hawaii DOE system works and blah, blah, blah. It's a little off topic. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, you answered my next questions, which are always, what are you, where are you? Um, and what does your classroom look like? And you are teaching in Hawaii, but you are not currently in Hawaii. You are currently in Chicago, right? That's right. I'm, I'm do a job in Hawaii, but currently at this ATM at this moment, I am in Chicago because after this year with the, my, this will be like almost my 11th year at the Hawaii DOE. Uh, Department of Education, I will be leaving and oh, I will no. be going to work um, for illustrative mathematics. Oh my God. I always want to say illustrative and you said illustrative. It, no, it's illustrative. I should say it correctly. Which one it's is illu- it? Um, it? Some people will fight. It's illustrative. Um, 
it it should be illustrative because every time I hear people say it's illustrative, so okay. I should stick to that. So that's so I just have to now make a list of all of the cool people. So that's you and Ashley and Dave and Kate. Right. So Dave, when Dave got hired, me and Dave both got hired. Oh, I didn't know. Congratulations. Yes. So a curriculum writer. Okay. And will you stay in Hawaii? Yes, I will be in Hawaii, getting to work from home and doing the writing. Oh, that's very cool. Yes, I'm very, I'm, so I will tell you, I was super um, worried. Like, mm-hmm. so um, opportunity arose, applied, you know, did the resume, did all the things for the applying. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, now I'm nervous. I'm like, what? Well, at first I was not nervous. I'm like, I'm not going to get this position. It's crazy. There's like way other better people. <laughs> like, I'm just going to put it out there so that I can just interview and get some good experience interviewing for this company yeah and then I get an email that I'm that they would like to offer me the position I'm like what wait is this the, like do you guys send us the right email like are you sure you are? <laughs> <laughs> and so then I was like okay now I have to think about the I had to do adulting which oh, is like the worst oh. oh adulting is the worst so I had to make adult decisions right so right. I've been working for the Hawaii Department of Education for almost 11 years um, I love working. I love working with kids. Yep. <laughs> I understand that. I don't love working in this system. Um, I know every system has its things, uh, goods and bads. I know there's goods and bads about having an entire state be one school district. Yeah. I, I think there's more bads than goods on that one. You know, everybody could have their own take on it. I have for the past four years been really trying to work in this system to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of social injustice with our local kids, with our, and I think this is really personal to me because the local kids are my nieces and nephews. They're right. personally mine. And, and they're also like, that's me. I grew up like that. Yeah. That's me. And like, I know you see, like, I'm this white skin and people are like, oh, you know, you're white and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, well first of all, uh, I might look white, but that's the Spaniard side of me because my Spaniard side of my family had like this uh, light, fair skin and green eyes, but that's totally like this because my uncle looks the same way and we're Spaniards. Yeah. But my mom is straight. Like if you saw my mom, she's like, oh, you're Mexican. Hello. You know, because (laughs) my mom is very Mexican looking and she's half Hispanic or she's half Mexican, half Spanish. Okay. And then my dad's like Native American and like maybe a, like I've kind of pieced it down to like maybe at most a quarter of, you know, maybe some Irish and a couple of those things, but majority of it's like Native American Indian on my dad's side because we have all that paperwork from my my great grandma there. So it's like, yeah, I might look this way, but the the experiences of growing up in Hawaii have made me who I am. Right. When I'm in Hawaii, when people are like, oh, you know, like I start a job when I started the job as a teacher, I walk in the classroom and the kids are looking at me like, oh yeah, here, here we go. Here's like this white teacher, and I open my mouth and they're like, oh, oh no. Oh no, she's from Hawaii. Yeah, you oh, yeah. have the accent. I'm gonna step back because I need we need more information. Um, hey. Your parents are are Mexican, Spaniard, all sorts of things. Did your parents move to Hawaii? Were you born in Hawaii? Um, I'm born and raised in Hawaii. Okay, I am. Um, my dad moved to Hawaii when he was ten years. His family moved to Hawaii when he was like ten years old. Mm-hmm. It was before Hawaii became a state. So in like 1957. Oh, that's so cool. Um, because Hawaii became a state in 1959. Um, 
they moved from Redwood City area. So this is the story that my grandmother told me, which is kind of fun. Um, <laughs> she says they're friends. They're these friends. And I'm guessing missionary-like friends because what's interesting is they went to Hawaii for something. <laughs> like they went to share some work is what my dad and grandma say. So I'm like, are they like missionaries? Like what's the deal there? So we didn't get, there's no specific. <laughs> so they came back from their work in Hawaii and they're telling my grandpa all about this. And again, this is like fifties and you know, that time that the, the person who's the decision maker is, is the man. So, you know, telling my grandpa all about this and within two weeks, they are packed up. All their life is in a container. The rest of it's sold, and they're moving to Hawaii. I'm, I'm gonna. This is the craziest story because literally, my very best friend who lives on Lahui has almost, or not lives on Lahui, lives on Kauai, um, mm-hmm. has almost yep. the same story of selling all her stuff and just moving to Hawaii. Oh, yeah. we're in people Hawaii now. <laughs> yeah, people do that. There's lo- there's quite a bit of people who do that. Okay. Um. So this is the story of my grandma and grandpa. They they moved to Hawaii. I will tell you. You, um, that my grandma, d- she didn't want to come. <laughs> but again, the male makes the decision mm-hmm. at those times. And mm-hmm. hey, Gramps said we're going, so they have to go. Um, and I know that um, mm-hmm. because she told me, I think we were making a decision where I was like, oh, this is when I was almost going to graduate um, from college. And I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to move back and she's like why would you move back here i mean you know how grandma's are right i mean you know how grandmas are right like oh yes uh grandma's gonna tell you what's up and she's like why would you move back here there's like no opportunities here it's like the worst if i wasn't so old i would not be living here there's so many opportunities in the mainland i'm like cool story grandma um so this like if it was her choice she still probably wouldn't be here um but she's here, you know, or, and she passed away or whatever. But, you know, at that time, she was like, yeah, I'm good with Hawaii. So I, I'm guessing. And, and my pa- my grandparents had divorced a little bit later in life. So um, so I'm thinking she didn't really want to come. So that's how my dad gets out here. He's like 10 years old. And yeah. they're living on Oahu in Kailua. Um, my mom gets mm-hmm. out here. She's 26 or 27. My mom grew up in like um, South Central, like East <laughs> LA, like, oh, oh, oh. I think at that time probably wasn't hood yet, right? So this okay. is when this movement of um, families in Mexico are like, yes, go to America because there's a lot more opportunities or get to the border and have your kid in American soil, mm-hmm. right? So so then I'm like, okay, my grandma was born in American soil. However, my great-grandparents are from um, like Chihuahua and uh, – this other place, San Juan de los Lagos in Mexico. Okay. So, and they're kind of like, it's a nice area actually. And some of the research that I've done, they kind of just got pushed out of their city for, for certain reasons. So then it's like, okay, go to American soil and have your kids so that your kids have American citizenship, which you see sometimes. So that, I mean, and obviously that's, that structure is still kind of there. So that's what happened with my grandmother and then there where they grew up and then my mom, then my mom and, and that kind of thing. So then, you know, experiences with her family and what my mom, um, grew up with and then now she's at 26 year 26 ish 27 ish years old and she's like oh hey I'm done with this and dealing with my family and I want to be away from these people <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I mean this is the story she's just like wants to get away from this whole thing right now um and she goes by I'm going to Hawaii 
And again, here's another story of picking up and moving. And she meets people in Hawaii and does this whole deal. And so moved and she was like 26 or 27. And, and, um, so she had a previous husband before my dad, which is my sister's dad. And so, um, met him, had a group of friends there. And then that didn't work out, went with my dad and my dad actually had a wife before that too. So we have, I have sisters from two sides and then I have a brother from my dad and my mom and we have a foster brother in between there. So, um, Yeah, so that's kind of like how my parents came to Hawaii. Where do you feel? So, this is this is me being ignorant of Hawaii because I don't know a ton about it. Did you grow up feeling the intersection of like the Mexican Hispanic culture and the Hawaiian culture? Like, how did that intersect in your household? Uh, no, actually, I felt like so. I'm not Hawaiian in blood. And what a lot of people don't know about Hawaii is like, oh, you're from Hawaii. You're Hawaiian. No, I'm not Hawaiian. I would consider myself local because I'm born and raised on on Maui, but I'm not Hawaiian. So to be Hawaiian, you have to have the blood. Like you have the blood. What we say is like the bloodline or the coco. Coco is like the (laughs) bloodline. Um, So I am not Hawaiian, but I'm definitely local. And I. So that's why I still live in Hawaii. Like the, growing up in Hawaii, this culture and this piece of who I who I am and who I become, I couldn't leave that. Like I can't, I can't leave those pieces. Like the hula and the like. I don't currently dance hula, but like those things, the culture, the what we call like moolelos, like the stories, the pieces of Hawaii that make it it. Like this is my land. This is where I belong. Okay. Every time I fly home to Hawaii. I like cry because this is, this is my, this is my island. This is mine. And it's not like mine for the taking. This is, this is where I sprouted from. And so like, there was still, I would say kind of some of that mixture of the Mexican culture because my mom always, you know, like cooking food, you know, cooking the Mexican food. Like every year we had at New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, we had um, tamales, so mm-hmm. she, she made, it wasn't only tamales, but it was like the load, like pretty much what I do now with my family and my sister, we will do New Year's Day and make the whole spread or, or the, the spread that we make. And, and I try to mimic that because that's what my mom did. And so the sharing of those pieces and knowing that we're from Mexico and, and uh, when, you know, like in fifth grade, you do like a, like a, no, they do a state report, but I think I did like something on my grandma. You have to like do a family like, tree. Yeah. Always yeah, make yeah. You do so, those. Yeah. Then I did like a biography on my grandma. And so that's when I like learn about my grandma is and where like now I know these cities. And I think when I went to San Diego for college, I graduated mm-hmm. from high school in Maui and then went to college in San Diego. That really helped me ping back to my Mexican culture and saying, hey, I, I know I'm Mexican and I want to learn more about this and I want to be like ingrained in this. And so I have like this combination of these like things mixed together, right? Yeah. But I would say that my, what they call, like, in Hawaiian, we call it, like, your na'au. Like, this is your, like, your, like, your gut. Like, where my, where my essence belongs is in Hawaii. What's the word again? Um, It's called your na'au. And I can, I can email you, like, what it's, what it looks like. So your na'au is, like, your gut. So I wouldn't say that, like, oh, this is, like, your, but like, you where you start. Like you needed to be there. Yeah, this is my gut. Like, I know, mm-hmm. I need to be here. I need to be here 
for kids because I'm a product of this public um, education mm-hmm. system. And I know what the faults are mm-hmm. because I'm a product of it. And, and I saw lots of um, injustice happening to my friends who are lots of locals. And I see currently that same injustice happening to my nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. They're not okay with that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because my sister is, you know, like uh, some Mexican, Spanish, and a little bit more white than I am, like okay. a little bit more German. And her husband is like probably 80, 80 to 90% Hawaiian. Okay. And uh, so their, their children now, you know, have different I don't know the rules, like not the rules, but the words to say. Like when we're talking about skin color, it's race, right? Yeah. I don't think that your ethnicity, race, they're all sort of, they all sort of people use them interchangeably. And I don't think you're going to offend anyone by saying the wrong one in this moment. Okay. So (laughs) I guess the way I use race is like the skin color and then ethnicity is like who your identity is. Okay. Um, So their race, you know, some some of them have a little bit darker skin some of them have a little bit lighter skin but they're like who they are is like they're children of this hawaii you mm-hmm. know and so they are definitely being this is a disservice to them the education system that's happening and i feel like there's also a disservice to every single kid in our hana town mm-hmm. that is, is not being serviced because they're feeling like it's their fault like it's not it's my fault that i don't learn this way and it's like no it's not your fault um because you have spoken about sort of general big Hawaii issues. So I'm going to ask you this. Uh, have you seen, so the New York Times put out a thing that was like on one axis was poverty level and on the other axis was grades above or below grade level. And it was like, as kids got richer, they did better, right? As it does. And it also was one connected with race. So I'm wondering if you know any information and I could look this up, I'm sure, but I'll ask anyway. Are there white kids on Hawaii on any of the islands, because you're all one district, <laughs> do your white kids do better than the Hawaiian kids? Um, like, when is we look there at that our... discrepancy like there is in San Diego? Absolutely. So when we look at a complex, in our complex area, we've actually looked at this. Okay. Because we're able to kind of break it down, right? right? And just, like, look at those disadvantaged students. Who are those disadvantaged students? Right. They are our local kids. And there's a huge gap. And so this is my question to the system, like whoever, this, this is what I do, <laughs> the, the DOE, like the DOE, <laughs> wherever you are. Right. Um, this is, this is a problem. Like, I think that people might see that, like, here it is on paper. What do we do? Well, you know, we need to do, you know, and, and I feel like there's all this bandaid work. Oh yeah. So much. And I think that the root cause it's there. People, I think some people know what the root cause is and it's difficult conversations that have to happen. And so when I'm in these meetings, I'm asking these difficult questions and I'm like, I'm not going to stop asking these difficult questions. (laughs) So what are we doing about this? (coughs) And then they're like, you in the back. I get that. Questions. And I'm like, because there's a lot of things like we have issues that aren't about social injustice. You right. know, and they're trying to like do this. We don't have enough teachers, and they're trying to do this, and we have all the things. And I'm like, look, I really think we need to get down to the root of this because this is an issue. And so, our there's a lot a percentage of kids that are, you know, I don't want to say only Native Hawaiian because there's quite a bit percentage of Native Hawaiian, but they're local kids also. They might mm-hmm. be Filipino, they might be, um, you know, other 
other other uh, ethnicities, and they are on the lower end of the scale. They are they have that big gap. Okay, it's there. I mean, I if you like, if somebody doesn't believe me, I'm more than welcome to pull that data out. But we've looked at that information, and me and my boss and our complex area have looked at like, hey, what are we gonna do about this? So you are on the island of Maui, correct? And how many complex areas are there in Maui? So the so we call it like the district of Maui. But so Maui has two complex, two different complex areas. Um, one has like twenty schools, which are all on the island of Maui. Okay. Um, so when we talk about the county of Maui, there are three islands in the county of Maui. I'm learning which, so many things. <laughs> yeah. So Maui, or we some people call it originally was Maui Nui. So that's three islands. So the island of Maui that you see that I'm mm-hmm. on. And then there's Lanai and Moloka'i. Okay. So those three islands make up Maui County. So my complex area does everything that's on Maui Island. And then the other complex area does the two other islands, Hana, which is where I actually live, and then Lahaina. So there's a two places on Maui Island that they are, and then a couple other islands. So you've been in the District of Hawaii education system now for 11 years as an adult human, Um, not as a child because you did it as a child, or even you could even reach back to being a kid. Um, What major changes have you seen, if any, and what has seemed to really not change at all? Okay, so the easy one is to do the not changing. Okay. Um, The not changing (coughs) is instructional practice. So that's a real heavy there. I walk into classrooms at schools. I went to that school. <laughs> I graduated from that school. And I see like, oh, hey, am I, am I in, in high school? Like, <laughs> am I in my class like 10, 15 years ago um, with the same teacher? Some of the teachers are still there. Right. Um, so that that's, which is kind of like, yeah. Um, what has changed, standards have changed. Right. Um. People have changed, some, some like principles, some structures have changed, uh, new schools. Right. Would I say that the instructional practice that we need for kids to be successful have changed? No. And I, I think that to me is the most disheartening. Do you see people in the upper parts of the district wanting that to happen, pushing for that? Is it? Like, besides you being obnoxious in the back, which I understand because I'm that kid, too. <laughs> are there are there other people above you or other people in the thing that are pushing for this instructional change? There's some. There are pockets. Okay. But there's definitely not a system systematic piece of it. I think because the system is so big here, we lose our connection. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's so easy for a teacher to be so adamant about it. Or a teacher who's left the classroom, you know, within a five-year range to be so, like, gung-ho. Because I see these, like, those kids are looking in my eyes, mm-hmm. right? I'm this front line. Where higher up, I'm not this front line. I I, I can be away from the, the you know, the, the line or the action right. down on the battlefield or how, you know, whatever analogy we might use. And so that's a little bit easier to get lost in that. You know, it's a little it's a little bit easier not to have that connection because now a kid's name is just on paper and a box that we look at and a, and a number next to them. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really push people to get back to the classroom. Um, like be in a classroom, get in a classroom, see it, look at those kids, look at them, look in your eyes, you know, like they're not bad humans. This is the best they're doing with what they have. We're not and so how are we? Yeah, like that's my thing. I mean, I guess maybe I'm a little naive in that sense. I don't know. This and, and maybe this is because this is why I'm a teacher. But when I see these humans, these young adults, I'm just like, they are doing and, and parents are trying to do the best they can with what they have. I mean, they're not saying like, yeah, I'm trying to screw this kid up. Like, nobody <laughs> says that. No. And no teacher says that. Nope. You know? They're coming with positive intentions almost every time. And, you know, I have a really hard time when teachers are like, yeah, they just don't know anything. Like, they're basics. I'm like, stop. Because look at this human. Like, would you say that in front of this human in front of you? Like, they have emotion. Like, emotion pieces. Like, I don't want to – that would hurt their feelings. Like, they're trying. You know? And then you find out the book of the kid and he's, like, homeless or he has this and that. And they're like, stop. Stop saying this about kids because these are the things that we have to think about as teachers. So, and I think this is why, like, you know, some people might call it, like, hokey or whatever, but I really, um, and I hate using that term, buy into the fact, so I'm not going to, I'm not trying to, like, buy into the fact of anything. I, I've seen it in my classroom. Yeah. I, I know it works. Is, you know, that social-emotional learning? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much research out there, and people are like, oh, yeah, this, this is touchy-feely. I'm like, no, it's not. It's letting those kids in your classroom know that you absolutely think that they matter to you. Mm-hmm. And and if you don't think that they matter to you, why are you here? My principal, this is just, it made me think. My principal, at one point when I was in the process of being hired, was talking about how he never thought he would start a school because we're a brand new school. He never thought he would start a school with a Hugs for Thugs program, which is his joke because he's really bought into restorative justice and restorative practices and all of that. But he was like, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I never would have said, but that's what we do because that's what works best for kids. Yes. And I think that, that to me is the thing where, where I ask, like, <coughs> are you student centered? And teachers are like, yeah, I'm totally student centered. Cool. Let me see it. Because it's easy for you to say like, I am student centered, but it's hard work. And what does that you know? mean to you? So what does a classroom, that's a good question then. What does a classroom to you look like that is student centered and how does it look different than a teacher centered classroom? So one thing I I'll preface is I totally am a child of addicts. And so having those boundary lines are hard for me. Okay. Right? So having the boundary lines of, okay, Sadie, this is too much. Like you're going overboard. <laughs> um, so I would say probably some of the things that I'm going to bring to the table are probably like, this shouldn't be for everyone. And I wouldn't judge anyone if they didn't do this. You know, like, that's not no. what I'm sharing. I'm sharing. So student centered would definitely be meeting the kids needs where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, in my classroom, a kid come. Any teacher who thinks kids are going to come in at grade level is a funny person. Like, <laughs> you're funny. That's really nice of you. <laughs> so um, <laughs> they're not going to come in at grade level. It's okay. How are you going to scaffold the lesson? How are you going to change that lesson? What are you going to do to meet your kids' needs? You're not going to just stand up there at the front and say, "Well, this is what you should know, and this is how you do it," and that to me is a teacher-centered classroom right um but then we look at a student-centered classroom 
And we say, like, I sorry, I want to go back to teacher-centered classroom one more time, too, because I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I've been thinking a lot about um, teachers that judge kids or that put this piece on kids where it's like, well, he does this and it's really annoying. I'm like, okay, um, it's not your job to like the kid. It's your job to teach them. And so can we honor the fact that this is this is this guy or girl, this is Sarah or Oscar, mm-hmm. whoever he is. And that's who he is or she is. And it's not your job to like them, but it is your job to meet their needs. And what are their needs? What can you what can you learn about them? How can you meet them where they're at so that you can help push them along the, their learning journey? I would actually argue that it is your job to like them, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> and, and it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, you, no. How can you help them? If you can't like them, what are you doing to help them? And that to me is what student-centered is. When I have a teacher ask that question of, oh, I got this kid and I just don't know how to reach them. Like I've tried so many things or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that this to me is one of the biggest things in our secondary schools. Like I will say, I'm talking about my secondary schools in my complex area. And this might be in a lot of secondary schools. Um, the relationships that the teachers are building with kids are either non-existent or very, very on a low level scale the judgment piece, like you should do this. Like, why do they, why do they come with their planner like this? Why don't they, why don't, why don't they wear their things like this? Why don't they, I'm like, stop. This is not our position here. Okay. Our position is these are these kids. And I, I think I'm really sensitive to this because my nieces and nephews have to deal with this. Yeah. And especially in middle school, that time of like, like this is what, (laughs) like that's our moment. Like, we, we call them know, the, like, we call them the ugly years when you look at middle school yearbooks the kids are not cute in middle school yearbooks so awkward like okay so, what, is, what do my limbs do yes what are you doing <laughs> why are your arms out all the time i don't know isn't that what arms do yeah, why are your legs not, your torso just all of it <laughs> emotional is they're going through physical changes with their body and the, the hormones and it's like what I call them emotional bags, to be honest, which yeah. they are. And sometimes we just need to step back and say, okay, look, this teaching is really important right now, but these guys are so emotional in this state. I need to take a step back and deal with this piece to move to the learning piece. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not sure that a lot of our, I would say in our complex area and maybe nation, I don't know, in our complex area, we do have quite a gap there. I remember like, this kid's doing anything. I'm like, because they think you think they're an idiot. They're going to do as well, much as you. You do think they're idiots. Oh, yes. Good point. Good point. <laughs> if good you point. Tell them they're idiots. They act like idiots. Weird. Weird, right? They're not going to rise up to your expectation yet because you have a, such a low expectation. What are they rising to? You know what I mean? I do. So that, yeah. And I think that that's where the social emotional learning comes from. Those are those relationship pieces. How do I get to know this kid? How do I build this safety piece in my classroom? And it's amazing teachers that don't understand. And I doubt it's anyone who's listening to this podcast because there are friends that our friends are better than this. But it's amazing to me the teachers that don't understand that literally knowing one fact about your kid outside of the classroom is like a thousand dollars worth of cash. Plus one. Like, yes, like millions of dollars. Like, kids love it. Like, they would walk in and say, oh, hey, I saw you, uh, you know, I don't know, outside uh, playing basketball. Or, you know, like, even outside of school, on the court at school. Like, pay attention. 
Or he yeah. walks in with a with a, like a 76ers hat or something like, oh, you like basketball? You know? It's like, oh, well, it's not my I didn't know who or... the 76ers were. Cool, cool. Yeah, or like whatever it is. Like, no, yeah. you know, you notice that they have, like, I don't know, like whatever they have, like a SpongeBob sticker or something. Like, hey, you like SpongeBob? Oh, cool, you know, like. And even and beyond I, the thousand bucks you get for knowing something about them, like there's also the like little money you can cash in by telling them things about yourself. Yes. Oh my gosh. Like, what is this thing that we can't be human as teachers? Like, oh, I'm like this thing. And like, you know, I tell them like some days I'm going to come in and I'm just going to be like, I'll use an example. I had this class and it was kind of like a self-contained class. It was almost like special motivation. So we had a group of kids who were about freshmen, freshman to sophomore year ready to drop out. And we're like, yeah, not going to happen. So we made it self-contained and the teachers were the ones that came in and out. And, um, oh, one year. So this year I want like this huge Christmas tree because we have a really high roof in my house and it's like a 12 foot Christmas tree. We go out and like cut it ourselves up on the mountain. I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. Like huge Christmas tree. In the morning I woke up and my Christmas tree had fallen down with all the ornaments on it. (laughs) I get to school and I'm like almost in tears. Like I'm like, you guys, I have to tell you guys like my tree, it fell down. And they were like, did they laugh at you? Yes. (laughs) But then they were like, they were like, oh, yeah, Missy, that totally sucks. Like, I just have to tell you guys I'm having a bad day because I woke up this morning and my tree fell down and I just love my tree and this whole deal. And they were like, oh, yeah, like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry, Missy. And they were like laughing inside, but they were still compassionate. Right. They had this empathy piece where and I think, you know, like, you know how you're like, I argue that it's not our job to like them or whatever yeah. i feel like i'd argue a piece where people say oh it's not it's not my job to build empathy oh jesus think, christ like i think as a teacher that is our job i think as a teacher i keep falling back and i gotta find it again there's a john green quote that he says like that he only wants to live in a society with people who have gone through public education because he doesn't want to live with idiots and for me, it's not about the knowledge they get. It's about the fact that you learn to be a member of society. Yes. And if we are not teaching them the skills to be members of society, then oh who the hell cares if they can complete the quadratic formula? You. Hey, this is it. This is like the motto of me. Like, I just want to like live and breathe this. Like, you know, kids will ask, they used to ask me all the time, like, well, when am I going to use this math? I look at them. Never. You want to know why you're doing it? And they're like, yes. I'm like, okay, here's the thing. What you're doing is figuring out a problem and you're like being resourceful and you're doing all this stuff. I was like, when you go into the real world in the work or the college or whatever, you're going to have to do that. So the skills you're learning from the math is what you're taking home, not the actual content of the math. Because you can look that up any day you want. And in my classroom, I hope, because we work real hard on this at my school, my classroom, it's the skills of talking to the other people who are also doing the same thing you are. True. Like that's a big skill. Can you explain something? Can you understand from others? Can you listen? Like, are you, I think you nailed it. Like, are you a functioning member of this society? Then out of teacher ed program, one of your things is to make your portfolios like, oh, you have to make your teaching philosophy. And oh, yeah, I remember this. Yes. So. Which is so terrible. I I don't even want to read mine. It's probably awful. I went back to mine or I actually go back to it regularly to remind myself about kind of my start point. Like. In Hawaii, we would call that your pico. Like, so your pico, in literal translation, is your belly button. Okay. But they call it your pico, like your start point. Like, um, this is where you started. Oh, that's adorable. 
this is Pico. Like this is your, this is your spot. Right. Um, so I go back to that to read it. And I, in my teaching philosophy, I write in there that these kids are going to be members of our society. Right. And how do we get them ready for this? And, and how I really want to help make the members of our state, uh-huh. of our nation. And I want to be okay with that. Once they're leaving, I can live with myself. Like I can live with this feeling of yes. Like it's good. Good. Her talked about having this 10 year plan of where she saw herself in 10 years. And then Refrain's being the amazing human she is like, did it right. And you're talking a lot about the changing education in Hawaii. And I'm wondering how that matches with your new career and what your feelings are going forward for your life choices. Where do you see this going and where do you want to come back to and that? So I might get a bit emotional because this is like a big change for me. Right. So, um, and change is hard for humans. (laughs) So I would say that, you know, I've done a lot of reflecting on where I'm at and I, I can't believe I'm where I'm at. Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, I can't believe I'm here. Right. I I can't believe that I'm, I'm doing this. I I actually can't even believe that I'm working for the complex area. Like what, like, I didn't know this was my path, but I feel like there have been signs like this is your path, Sadie. But, um, I just been kind of following those signs, but I know that if I, I looked back at myself and I knew that I wanted to be a teacher when I had decided to become a teacher originally in high school, I was going to be a marine biologist. I wanted to be a shark scientist. <laughs> I love sharks. Um, and then I changed my mind and was going to be a math teacher for deaf students. And then I changed my mind again because I didn't want to go to Gallaudet. Well, I no, that's wrong. I wanted to go to Gallaudet, but I didn't think I wanted to go back home more than I wanted to do that. Okay. And so I also was like, how am I going to get any of like the deaf ed thing is not going to get me back to Hawaii. Being in Hawaii was more important for me. Um, which there's a couple, I wish I would have at least got my interpreting license because I miss that portion of my life, like American sign language. And I keep in touch with my deaf friends and when I come to San Diego and stuff. So, um, then when I made the decision, you know, like my junior, senior year, when I'm like, I'm going to be a math teacher. And I just didn't realize how much I loved this. Like, I didn't know that I was so mathematical. I'm like, I, this is like, like, give me all the Kool-Aid. I want it all on me. Everything. I want to do it all. I loved it. I loved being curious about things. I loved, like, it was so hard. I was going through, like, I was struggling through all these things, but I loved the hardness. So if I reflect on, like, the high school, probably not, but definitely looking back at the path that I was along, I think all my experiences is kind of guiding me towards this, whether I knew it or not. Because sometimes I'll reflect and say, like, dude, that experience that I had, like, 20 years ago totally prepared me for this current moment right now. <laughs> and I trip out. I trip out. I'm like, this is crazy. I feel like I'm crazy sometimes. <laughs> but I think that's funny how life works. I, I'm not religious at all with any um, certain religion. I, I believe, you know, I'm not agnostic. I think that's the word. Uh, or atheist. Sorry, I'm not atheist. So I, would, I don't want to put myself in some, like, box of whatever it is. But... You know, there's something, there's something happening. There's some power of the universe there. And it might not be one power. There will be lots of powers that work together there. You know, there's, there's something that's happening. That's giving me light to make decisions sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know what to do. I need to ask for, can you give me a sign? 
So I would say, if I reflect back, I can't believe I'm here, but I'm so proud of myself to be here. Okay. I freaking work my ass off to get here. Yeah. And if anyone asks, like, what are you most proud of? The biggest thing I'm most proud of is, and I, I know it has like swear words, I'm sorry, but my goddamn paper that I have from UCSD that I lived away from Hawaii for four years that says mathematics on it. I'm going to ask you the last, the end part of this. You ready? These are kind of fast questions. Um, okay. Do you have any catchphrases? Oh, catchphrases. Like things you say over and over again. Oh, um, probably like some of my things like in Hawaii, like Hawaii that I do, they just go for it, bro. Or like what, you know, like, I don't know. I think that just go for it, bro. Cause that's what not bad banting. Uh-huh. When I was in Canada, I was doing this like counting circles and some guy asked me like, would you do this? I'm like, I don't know. Just go for it, bro. Try it. Yeah, it works out. The kids make fun of me when I say bro too. <laughs> it's the San Diego piece. Um, what was your favorite subject as a kid? <gasps> Mathematics. Obviously. <laughs> Um, what is a new thing you have learned to do recently? <gasps> Sewing the quilting in the past oh, yeah. few years. Quilting. Yeah. Um, what song or album are you listening to over and over recently? <gasps> oh, I would say, what was it? That one that was just pulled up. Oh, hold on. I got to remember what it was. Oh, I'm sorry. James Bay. Yeah. I just bought that album. My jam. Um, who is a person you think everyone should follow on Twitter? <gasps> My best friend. <laughs> He's not a math person at all. Okay. My best friend is Brendan. And his um his uh handle Twitter handle is at uh Rec B. So R-E-Q-B. Okay. What um TV show have you watched the most times or watched start to finish? That I choose or that I have to watch because my husband has it on TV. Oh, my God. I don't know. Can I have both the answers? <laughs> that I choose. I like uh, Mozart in the Jungle. Love that TV series. Like that show series. Like, oh, my gosh. It's on well, Amazon, because, right? Yes. Because I love Gael B- Garcia Bernal. Uh-huh. Like, uh, yeah. Huh, hello. Most um, attractive. Yeah. Yeah, hello. Yeah, I love it. Like everything, all of it. I would just watch him dance or something. I don't know. Um, Read the telephone book. Yes. So that that is my personal one. The one that I always have to watch because my husband like on because I come home on Fridays and then he like watches his shows that he records. Oh, that like Gold Rush one and the the Bering Sea Gold. Like ah, oh, all the gold shows. I can't do it. <laughs> I love that. That's what he watches. Um, what is the weirdest place you have ever run into a student? in a bar (laughs) and it wasn't like a current student they were like past students so I was in a bar and you know they're 21 and I'm over 21 and it's like Miss Sadie I'm like okay first of all stop calling me Miss Sadie we're done (laughs) I'm done being your teacher (laughs) also move away from me with your alcohol please yeah bye bye (laughs) um what is something that you are really good at and you can't qualify it with I think or I'm pretty good. What is something you are really good at? Mm, I'm really good at um, chatting with people. <laughs> you are really good at chatting with people. I agree. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite iPad app or terrible game you play on your iPad? Mm, does that have to be an iPad? Can it be? It can be a computer like game or a phone. Oh my gosh. This is so funny. Um, it's between Bubble Witch and Juice Jam. So dumb. 
I don't know, Rafranzis was was the Kardashian game, so I don't even know if that is. It's like you know when you like need to remove yourself from reality, yeah. sometimes I just do the game. Yeah. Juice Jam or Bubble Witch. There uh, it is. I feel that. Um would you survive? This is Refranz added this question. Would you survive the zombie apocalypse? Okay, I'm not sure because so like my best friend Brendan was like, watch Walking Dead, like so awesome. He watched the thing. I'm like, okay. So one night I'm at my house that I rent in Wailuku and I'm watching the first episode, season one, episode one. And I'm like, this is scary. <laughs> like they make all these weird noises. And the gro- so like I have like a picture, like I have like a photographic memory. So seeing the blood and the pieces when I sleep, I see that exact thing. Uh-huh. So it's really, I don't know if I would, but who knows? Like when you're like in the moment and your life depends on it and like the guy's gonna eat your neck and you're like what like yeah i don't think i would even within the moment um if you could add a question to this list of questions is there anything that you would add oh man there's like so many things like i want to know about all the things of all the people i do too that's why i get to do this if somebody like likes something that i don't know i'm like tell me about more about all of it i want to know all of it like (laughs) this dorky thing but um i would say if you had to get a tattoo, Ooh. what would be, your, what would be like, you know, like, would you get a tattoo? Maybe like, would you get it? And if you did, what would it be? Oh, cool. I missed one. I'm sorry. If you weren't a teacher, what would you be? <gasps> Besides a shark, would you be a shark? shark? American Sign Language Interpreter. Oh, yes. We did say that. Okay. And I'm going to end with this question. And it's a weird question because it's Saturday. So if you want to say this week, I will take this week. But what was the best thing you did today slash this week oh I can answer it on the Saturday the best thing I did was work with the illustrative math team on some of the learning like the curriculum writing that we're doing today I was like that was my jam today charge I don't know why that's our outro music but it is today thanks for making it to the end of tales from the chalk line I hope that you enjoyed it and that you will come back next week and see what's up with us. We are up to about 40 listeners, which, you know, it's okay with me. Um, I will keep doing this as long as people keep talking to me. Have a great month of May. I'm going to go take a nap. Boop, boop, boop.